Well, hey, uh, today we are um, we're kind of going back into uh, our Explore God series that we've been on for a little while, and today we're going to ask uh, an interesting question. It's a question that has been on my mind most recently, and um, it's a question that I feel like is growing in our culture today. And uh, for some, it's kind of a new question, but I think it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And more people, uh, many of them at a younger age, are asking it. It's, I see it all over Western civilization, and I think really it's kind of going all around the world. And that question today, my friends, is, what does the fox say? <laughs> if, you are, if you're under 30, you know what I'm talking about. If you're over 30, you might be going, huh? Uh... And if you're, if you're over 30 and you don't know what I'm saying right there, then let me just give you one bit of encouragement. Because I know you're feeling on the outside right now. Um, here's the thing. It's on YouTube. It's a song. It came out of Norway. And, and do yourself a favor. Stay far, far, far away from it. Don't look it up. Don't watch it. Don't listen to it. Because what just happened to everybody else in this room for the next 30 minutes or so they're not going to hear one thing that I have to say. They're going to simply hear in their head, what does the fox say? That's all they're going to hear. And now that I sang it, I sealed the deal. So I've lost half the crowd. So, uh, so my apologies to you. And again, if you don't know what it is, save yourselves. It is not too late to not care what the fox says. All right? But uh, we are going to jump in this morning. We're going to go... Um, and dig into this Explore God series. So as we get started, let's take just a moment and let's introduce it by watching this video together. I'd like to think Jesus is a great person. Uh, I just, I, it's, a, it's to me, it's a silly story. Jesus was the shepherd who basically was the leader of the pack and told people what to do. He would probably be the guy that I walked by and thought he was a homeless bum and ignored him, honestly. I'm sure that he would be saying something really profound and I'm afraid I might be ignoring it. I don't necessarily believe that any one person is God. I don't think that Jesus may have been God. However, I do believe that we all have divinity within us. I'm just trying to do the best I can down here. I, I, I believe it, that uh, the teachings of Jesus uh, they ring true to me. It's the way it makes sense to live that way, to, to love people instead of hate people, to, to look out for your fellow man instead of always trying to beat him down. Jesus wasn't white, <laughs> so I don't think that you could say that he's just here for white middle class people. Uh, if he really existed, uh, all for it. Um, too bad that there is no other people like, like him nowadays. Jesus, I believe, was a liberal. And I think looking at where we're going, I think he'd be happy to see that people are becoming more and more accepting. Sure, I believe that Jesus was a historical person, um, but I don't believe that the other things that have accrued around the story of his life. He's, he's like the pinnacle of love. It's idolization, basically. The idea that there's a human being that can be viewed as a god is, 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 is a tough 
um, tough proposition for me to accept. Jesus, he loves people and he wants people in his family and he's not someone that pushes people outside, he's always inviting people in. Si Jesus ay anak ng Diyos na namatay para sa atin, para tubusin uh, tayo sa mga kasalanan at para makarating tayo sa langit. I think I'm, I grow more curious about that every day um, uh, and, and how I can be a better person, um, maybe by following his teachings and, and maybe it will be a, a fit for me and maybe it won't, but you know, I'll, I have a lifetime to figure that out. This is the question that we're going to dive into today is, is Jesus really God? You heard it over and over again in their minds and coming out of their mouths. And um, you, if you listen close, you hear what, what I heard, that most people that you talk to, and whether it be just your average Joe on the street or whether it be a scholar that you talk to or people who have really studied, really most people will say that Jesus was in fact a historical figure. They've got enough evidence, enough things to support. And so people, by and large, you'll talk to us say, yeah, yeah, I believe that Jesus walked the earth and he did some things and he was a teacher and, and all of that. And that was good. But when you come to the claim that we make, that we believe that Jesus is himself God and you talk about his divinity, that's when the rubber meets the road and that's when the conversation starts to have a little more trouble. So today we're going to walk through that just a little bit. Let's pray over it and then we'll dive in. Heavenly Father, we love you and we ask you to teach us and train us from your word. Help us to discover the truth of who you are and who your son is and what you're doing in the earth and how we can participate with you. We love you this morning and so we give our lives to you and we ask that we would leave this place different than when we came in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen. Truth is, everybody's got a picture of Jesus. I got mine. Uh, mine came a lot from Sunday school as I was growing up. Mine came from what we call a flannel graph. I don't know if you ever grew up going to Sunday school having a flannel graph, but it was flannel board and they had little stick-on people that you stuck on of Jesus and the disciples and Jonah and the whale, and it was a fantastic thing growing up. If you didn't get that, you missed out. Come over to my house and I'll pull mine out because I have one at home. And I sit there, my kids don't do it. I just like to do it myself. Oh, but I'll, I'll show it to you. You'll really enjoy it. But I've got pictures from that that I just grew up with. So when someone initially, as I was growing up, someone would talk about the person of Jesus, I would have this image that would come up. And my image was typically something like this. It was a white guy with long brown hair, and he always wore a white robe. I don't know why he wore white. It was very dirty back then, so that didn't make a lot of sense to me. But he always had this blue sash like he was in some kind of, I don't know, pageant. I don't know what that was all about, but he had this blue sash on, and, and typically he had sheep or something around his feet, maybe two or three of them. Or if he didn't have sheep rolling around, he had like, he was sitting down, had a kid on his lap or a kid in his arms and they were looking lovingly at each other or, or oh in his face his face is always shiny <laughs> I gotta figure out why his face is always so shiny maybe his t-zone is oily I don't know what's going on with him but I I'm very embarrassed that I just said that I should not have said that I fear that I've given away too much of what I know <laughs> I know there's a t-zone this is a major problem for me please ignore that I said that 
So his face is always shining. So I had this picture of him, and, and it, it, it wasn't necessarily true at all. I mean, he didn't look like that, and he didn't have sheep around him every day. And so I had this image that had been created of him. And you've got yours, too. But what we're talking about today is not an image that has been created for us. We're talking about the real person, the true person of Jesus Christ who lives and whether or not he is really God. Not some picture that has been created in your mind, but who is Jesus really? That's really the topic that, that we're tackling today. That's the big idea. Not somebody that comes outside of us and our imagination, but somebody who exists and who is regardless of what we think about him. So we're going to go into this for just a little while, but, but I want you to consider maybe your own picture needs to change just a little bit as we dig into it. I want to start with 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 3. Paul's writing and saying, But I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning at the beginning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Verse 4, For if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, or if you receive a different spirit from the spirit you received, or a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it easily enough. What he's saying is there will be other interpretations. There will be other people. There will be other people who will talk about Jesus in a way that we did not present to you. They will present to you an image or a form of Jesus and who they think he is. If you look around today, you'll see it. You'll see him all over popular culture. For, I mean, more, more art has been uh, created about him, more songs have been written about him, more books have been written about him than anybody else in history. He is an incredibly popular and somewhat polarizing figure in our culture, even still today. There's t-shirts created. One of my favorites, you've probably seen, Jesus is my homeboy from several years ago. Many of you probably have that shirt tucked away in your closet at home. You don't wear it that much anymore. T-shirts. Um, he's been on TV shows from, from The Simpsons all the way to that show that used to be on TV, uh, Dog the Bounty Hunter. I mean, he's, just, he's appeared everywhere. You can see movies about him, good and bad. Uh, as you see him on, there's a, show called, um, there's a show called Glee, many of you are familiar with, and in that show, he showed up there. There's a, an image of Jesus that showed up on a sandwich, and they called it the Grilled Jesus. <laughs> oh, yes, they did. <laughs> I mean, it's such a big deal that we even divide our calendars around him into B.C. and A.D. So he is this massive, incredible, historical figure. And the truth about him is he never traveled more than a few hundred miles from home. The truth about Jesus is he never held political office, he never wrote a book, he never married, he never went to college, he died poor and homeless, but the discussion about him still never goes away. Why is that? 2,000 years after walking the earth, he's still on the minds and the lips of people. And people today are willing to give their lives and surrender their all and die in his name. Who is this Jesus? So our question today is, is Jesus really God? 
Of all the questions, I think that this is one of the most important. Yes, I think that all the Explore God questions have been and will be important to us. But this one really is one of the most centrally important. And let me give you a few reasons why. There's all kinds of reasons that we could talk about. But let me give you just three briefly. Because only someone who is the infinite God could bear the penalty for all the sins of the world. Jesus is a big deal. Secondly, the whole message of Scripture is that no human being could ever save themselves. No human being could ever save man. Only God can do that. And third, only someone who is truly and fully God could be the one mediator between God and man to bring us back to God and also to reveal God most fully to us. So it's centrally important because if Jesus isn't fully God, then we have no Christianity and we have no salvation. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 kind of deals with this idea in verses 17 through 20. It says, and if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But, verse 20, everybody say, but. <laughs> That's kind of funny. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. So I want to get right to the point, and I want to start with the end in mind, all right? This is kind of, for a typical pastor, this is kind of, you wait for this. You present all your information, and then you come to this, because this is your big closer. This is the big moment where you bring it home, and you bring in the C.S. Lewis, right? Just letting you in on the, the scene, usually. But I want to start with this idea this morning, so that we can kind of use it for the context as we continue the discussion. The famous passage, and it's a fairly lengthy paragraph, so stick with me as I read it. From Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis, he says, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing that we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says that he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Now it seems to me obvious, it seems to me obvious that he was neither a lunatic nor a fiend. And consequently, however strange or terrifying or unlikely it may seem, I have to accept the view that he was and is God. C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity. 
So this is where we get the idea that many of you have heard, some of you may not be familiar with, and he presents this idea of Jesus in three titles. He's either a liar, or he's a lunatic, or he's the Lord. And really, when you look at it, you kind of have to think about it in these three concepts. Because if he's a liar, then, and he did the things that he did, and he said the things that he said, then he could be one of the most despicable people that ever walked the planet, if it was all just a lie. Or he could be a lunatic, C.S. Lewis says, on the same level as somebody who would call himself a poached egg. So look at your neighbor real quick. Just look him in the eye, right in the eye. Look at him right in the eye. I know you hate it when preachers do this, but look at him right in the eye and tell them, I am a poached egg. Go ahead. Okay, now tell me you don't look like a lunatic because I'm watching you and you all look crazy and you sound crazy. So to do the things he did and to say the things he said, knowing that, he, I mean, he would have to be a crazy man. Or the other option is maybe he really was, even if it's terrifying, even if it's just wondrous, we don't understand. He could be God himself. So we're going to look at it briefly, and in no way are we going to cover or even come close to covering the breadth of information there is on this. And obviously in a conversation with somebody, who you're in, and this is, of course, is why we're doing this Explore God series, right? So that we're armed a little bit with just some information, some ideas to have these spiritual conversations with loved ones and friends and people around our city. So if you're having a conversation with people, obviously, to go straight to Scripture, if they don't believe the Bible, well, that would be a challenge for them. We, however, do, most of us believe in the Bible and believe in the Holy Scriptures and believe they are inspired by God and breathed from the Holy Spirit. So we are going to start there, and we're going to talk about them. And we're going to look at the claims of Jesus himself to begin uh, our time together. But what I, want, what I want us to look at and just see for just a brief moment today is, is that, and I think Pastor Ross may have said this early on, that it is rational and it is reasonable to look at some of the evidences that we have and believe that Jesus is really and actually God. You're not a crazy person way off somewhere just having this crazy ignorant idea that you would be possibly accused of for actually believing that this is true. So we're going to look at four brief evidences. Are you with me? You ready to go? Here we go. The first we're going to look at is simply the evidence of Jesus. The evidence of Jesus himself and how Jesus himself said that he is God. So we're going to start in Mark chapter 14, verses 60 through 64. He's being questioned here, and he says, Then the high priest stood up before them and asked Jesus, Are you not going to answer? What is this testimony these men are bringing against you? Jesus remained silent, and he gave no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? And Jesus said, as someone what Marty had already brought up this morning, Jesus says, I am. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. He makes a powerful claim here. And to us today, reading that phrase, the Son of Man, that may be a little bit curious. We don't have time to unpack it fully, but 
the hearers here would most likely hear it in the context of Daniel chapter 7 and verse 13, realizing that it was a vision uh, that Daniel had had, a dream. And so they would recognize that this was Jesus making the claim, I am, I am the Son of Man, I am God. If we look again, there are other passages, and there are numerous ones. We'll just take time to do a few. John chapter 8, verses 58 through 59. Very truly I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. Again, making the claim. At this they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. It wasn't his time just yet. Or maybe we'll go to John chapter 10, verse 30. Through 33, where Jesus makes this claim. He says, I and the Father are one. Again, his Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus said to them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? We are not stoning you for any good work, they replied, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. Jesus himself throughout Scripture does make the claim and says, yes, it's true. In fact, I am him. I am God. Another idea that I want us to be aware of, and again, we're only scratching the surface, but is this. The second idea is that Jesus said that he came down from heaven and he's the only way to heaven. Jesus said he came down from heaven. John 3.13 says, No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. There's that phrase again. Of all the religious leaders that we are aware of, or at least that I'm aware of, none of them ever claimed to come from heaven, to be from heaven. They may claim that, that they uh, visited heaven or they had a vision about heaven, but none of them ever said uh, that I came down from heaven and that I am the only way or the truth or the life. John 14, 6, I believe we talked about last week. I am the only way to get back to heaven. This is a major claim that Jesus makes. So people may say in your conversations, oh, he never said that. He never claimed that he would be God. Show it to me. Well, we just walked through some and we've only just said a few. But he did claim to be God. And throughout history, there have only been a few people that have really made that claim. And most of them had very small followings. They were proven to be crazy, and we don't talk about them anymore. But this story about Jesus, it just lives and lives and lives. And as far as I know, admittedly that I have not studied completely and fully, but as far as I know, of all the religious leaders that we know of, of major world religions... None of them have said that they are God. Muhammad said, I'm not God. Buddha said, I'm not God. Krishna said, I'm not God. Jesus is the one who said, I am God. So that's our first evidence. Let's move quickly and go to the second one. The evidence of prophecy. This is where people who have written before in the Old Testament are saying, Others are saying, yes, he is going to come, and yes, he will be God. And he would come and he would fulfill these prophecies that were written so long before he actually showed up. Now, I want to ask you to indulge me for just a moment, because, I, you know, I, I've been a youth pastor for many, many, many years. And so um, I have some friends, and they created this video, and I wanted to show it to you this morning, because 
Um, I, uh, I grew up on, on these videos at home or these TV shows that are really commercials at home, and they were called Schoolhouse Rock. <laughs> Some of you obviously remember. Uh, and Schoolhouse Rock taught you a bunch of great things. And so you may remember, conjunction, junction, what's your function? Hugging up. I'm not going to go any further with that. But, um, or you may remember, I'm just a bill. Do you remember that one? That poor little bill sitting on the steps of the Capitol. It was so sad. But, uh, but I grew up on those. And so I thought today for some of my younger friends in the room, and so if you just indulge me, indulge me. I know we're in church, but indulge me. And I want us to look at what this simple video has to say in the style of Schoolhouse Rock. How do you know what's true is really true? That's where the evidence comes in. Christ's offer to turn you into a new person is real if his claim to be God is true. So let's consider the evidence of eight prophecies proving his claim is true. Do you know what the probability factor is of only eight prophecies being fulfilled in Jesus? No. A one in 10 to the 17th power. One in 10 to the 17th power. Huh? That's one in ten to this many times. I don't get it. If you were to take ten to the 17th power Girl Scout Thin Mint cookies... How many? That's over a quintillion cookies. And spread them across the state of Texas... Yeehaw! They would cover every inch of the state and form a pile of Girl Scout Thin Mint cookies two feet deep. That's a lot of Thin Mints. A whole lot of Thin Mints. Now take one more Thin Mint and lick all the chocolate off, toss it into that pile, and stir the whole thing up. Blindfold yourself, walk the entire state from Amarillo to Laredo, stopping just once to stoop down and pick a single blind Thin Mint cookie. Got it. Take off the blindfold. Aw, nuts. The chances of you picking the chocolateless cookie is the same as the chance that one person could have fulfilled just eight prophecies about Jesus in one lifetime. That's crazy. It's unthinkable. But Jesus Christ did not fulfill eight prophecies in one lifetime. Whoa. He fulfilled over 300. 300, girl! Whoa. And 29 of them in just one day. The prophecies are historically documented. The facts that actually happened to Jesus are historically documented. There's only one thing left to do. I know. For me to weigh the evidence. It's all part of the evidence. Because if it is true that he is the Son of God, what he offers you, a new life in him, is real. Now I know it's real, whether I believed it or not. It's all part of the evidence. <laughs> yeah, again, thank you for indulging me with that. Uh, but I love, I just, I love the idea of that, that one person could fulfill eight prophecies. The likelihood of that is one in 10 to the 17th power, and that he fulfilled over 300, and 29 of them in one day. And so as you look through scripture, you can see, and we won't have time to do all of them, and I'll just roll through a few briefly, but... You see, 700 years before Jesus' birth, Isaiah 
Isaiah prophesied that Jesus' mother would be a virgin. You'll see that in Isaiah 7:14 and in Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 23. And other places, of course, we read the fulfillment of that. 700 years before Jesus, Micah promised that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. So you've got Micah 5.2, and you've got Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. Are you with me? You see where we're going? Then you've got 1,000 years before Jesus' birth, and hundreds of years before the invention of crucifixion, apparently, that David talks about how Jesus would be crucified in Psalm 22 and verse 16, or roundabouts, and Luke 23, 33, and of course, other places we read about that. So there's prophecies all throughout that Jesus came and he fulfilled, and it's just another evidence for you to consider. The third evidence is the evidence of resurrection, where Jesus said that he would rise again. Let's look at John chapter 2. If you've got a Bible, you can turn there, or I'll just read it to you briefly. But the evidence of the resurrection, John chapter 2, verse 18, the Jews then responded to him, what sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all of this? And Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, and I will raise it again in three days. They replied, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you're going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. In verse 22, after he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. And there's so many, of course, other scriptures that we could read. But Jesus did, in fact, raise from the dead. We, we quote it, we say it every week that we believe in it. And he appeared to other eyewitnesses. And you may not be aware of all the eyewitnesses that he appeared to. Let me just read you a list. Mary Magdalene, Cleopas, and other disciple. Eleven disciples and others in Luke. And, and Thomas and other apostles. To the disciples, of course. To Peter to a crowd of over 500 in 1 Corinthians 15, we read about it. Paul, on the way to Damascus, other, uh, in the early church teachings on the resurrection, they relied on the people that actually did see him and wrote these things down. There were eyewitnesses. The resurrection points to the fact. Eyewitnesses who saw and wrote things down and passed that on. And there's a couple ideas that I find really fascinating that I don't have a lot of time for, but I'm going to hit on them briefly. One is that Jesus' family, after the resurrection, Jesus' family starts to worship him as God. Now, I don't know about your family, but this does not happen in my family. My mommy likes me very much, but she does not worship me, all right? And I can tell you this, my brothers, they do not worship me, nor do I or am I or will I ever be willing to worship them. But Jesus' own family members began worshiping him as God. Or take into account the disciples. Look at the disciples. And before the resurrection, you see them and they're weak and they're cowering. They're afraid and they're hiding out. But then Jesus is resurrected. He rises from the dead. He appears to all of them. And suddenly they become bold and courageous. Why? It's because they saw him. It's because they came face to face with him. And it's, of course, because of the day of Pentecost, they're filled with the Holy Spirit and endued with power. But something happened to them as a result, and they were transformed. They became completely different because they saw the evidence of the resurrection. Uh, I love how Chuck Colson, he was a, most of you know, who are older, again, uh, you know this, he was a, an aide to Nixon during the Watergate years, and, and a great author, great writer, 
um, had a great ministry, but um, he said it like this, little paragraph that he wrote. He says, I know the resurrection is a fact and Watergate proved it to me. How? Because 12 men testified that they had seen Jesus raised from the dead. Then they proclaimed that truth for 40 years, never once denying it. Every one of them was beaten, tortured, and stoned, and put in prison. They would not have endured that if it wasn't true. Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world, and they couldn't keep alive for three weeks. You're telling me that 12 apostles could keep alive for 40 years? Absolutely impossible. Now, I know that's kind of silly. It's kind of a funny idea, but, but I think it's true. It's an incredible idea to consider. We've got to move on quickly. The evidence of history. The evidence of history. And again, there's, there, there is a lot of information, and I, I know that I have not studied it all. I know that this is not an area of expertise for me, but as I've studied over the course of this week and through school, I, I, here's some of the things that I want to bring out just, just for your information in your discussions. The evidence of history. Roman classical writings contain references to Jesus and the movement that he started. So around 112 AD, Pliny the Younger wrote to Emperor Trajan detailing how he was conducting the trials of those accused of being Christians. True believers, he had come to understand, could not be forced to revile Christ and worship the Roman gods. They wouldn't do it. Now understand, these are extra biblical. These are outside of scripture. A historian named Tacitus speaks of a group founded by one called Christ who had been executed during the reign of Tiberius by the governor Pontius Pilate. He described them as a suppressed group and their faith as a deadly superstition that originated in Judea and spread to Rome. Around 175 AD, the Greek philosopher named Celsus, he wrote a sustained attack on Christians and their founder. He mocked the Christian belief in the virgin birth and charged that Jesus was the illegitimate son of a poor Jewish woman named Mary. He also reflected in later Jewish writings that Jesus learned the magical arts, that he performed powerful acts, and he gave himself the title of God. One of the most important extra-biblical witnesses to the Jesus of history comes from the Jewish historian Josephus. Now, some of the texts in which he discusses Jesus are a little bit suspect to some, and it's because they were kept mainly and preserved by Christians who may have Christianized the testimony slightly. But even after removing a lot of the Christian elements, Josephus still has a good deal to say about Jesus. And he put Jesus in the correct time period and depicted him as a wise man, a teacher, and a worker of miracles. But what I'm just trying to paint for you ever so briefly and not good enough for sure is this idea that these extra biblical witnesses, these people outside of the scriptures that we have, they tell us a few important things about the historical Jesus. And the things that they say do line up with what we read in the New Testament. Here's a few of them. That Jesus founded a movement among Jews in Judea. That Mary was his mom. That he performed powerful deeds, that he was a wise man and a recognized teacher, that he made converts of both Jews and, and later through others and through the disciples of Gentiles. He was crucified on a Roman cross by Pontius Pilate during the reign of Tiberius after accusations were made against him by Jewish religious leaders. And he instilled confidence and trust among his followers who remained faithful to him even beyond his death. 
All those things line up, and maybe not in the same way that we know and read the New Testament, but they line up with what we have in the New Testament. Keep in mind, these are not proponents of Christianity that are writing these things. All I want you to realize this morning is, is that there is reasonable and rational evidence to have in your discussions. It's an important thing for you to realize that you're not crazy, but at the end of the day, you have to realize that even though you can say a few things and you have a few facts and there's some evidences to point to, at the end of the day, it does take faith to believe that Jesus really is God. And so then you have to find yourself face to face with really the, the big question, I think, of the day, which is the same question that Jesus asked of his disciples in Matthew chapter 16. When he looks at all of them and he says, who do people say that I am? And they say, oh, they say you're Elijah, you're the prophet, you're this, you're that. And he says, okay, yeah, 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 but, but who do you say that I am? And this, of course, is where Peter says, well, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And Jesus says to him, that's right, that is who I am. And this is not revealed to you by anybody else except for by the Father. So you've got this incredible moment where Jesus is asking the question, I think that he's asking all of us today, who do you say that he is? Maybe he's asking, who is he to you? Is he God to you? Or maybe more appropriately, I like to put it this way, is he God of you? Because it's one thing for us to have the philosophical discussion. It's one thing for me to stand up here and scratch the surface on saying, yeah, there are some evidences that we can point to. That's one thing, and that's good and important and, and all of that. But at the end of the day, it's yet another thing to look deep into ourselves and say, have I surrendered the whole of my life to him? Is he God of me? Is he God of all of my life? Have I given every area, every thought, every piece, even the hidden ones, every habit, every relationship, have I given these to him? Of course, as you ask that question, you begin to wrestle with it. We all have different answers about it. But as we wrestle with that question as we close today, I want to end with two final thoughts. Just briefly, one is this. If you're wrestling with that today, then as God, I want you to realize that Jesus is the solution for you. As God, Jesus is the solution that you're looking for. Whereas you might look at other religions and other faiths, and I say this with uh, respect for those of you who may hold some of these ideals. We're glad that you're here with us talking about Jesus today, whom we believe in, but Muhammad may point to the Quran and say, well, you got to make it to Mecca. Buddha may point you to the enlightenment and say, this is something you need to achieve. Krishna may point you to reincarnation. But Jesus steps on the scene and he says to all of us, hey, I am the answer. It's me. I'm the answer. It's not that I know something. It's not that I just have something. It is that I am the something. I am the one that you need. I am the solution. I am the way out of your trouble. I am the way to eternal life. 
I am the way to the Father. It's not that you're missing more information. It's not that you're missing some kind of a ritual. What you need more of is me. I am the one that you need. You're missing me. And then secondly, as God, Jesus is the promise of hope. He doesn't just say, look, you come to me and I'm going to wipe the slate clean. You get a blank slate, you get to start again. So you get a second try, second chance, good luck, hope you make it. Good job, go for it. That's not what he says. He's the promise of hope. Because just, just because you give me another chance doesn't mean that I can do it. <laughs> just because you say, hey, go again, doesn't mean that I'm going to succeed. But Jesus says, I have everything that you need to do it. Yes, it's true. He does give us a new nature. Yes, he then fills us with the spirit. And he's given us that spirit so that we can please him, so that we can serve him, so that we can obey him, so that we can do what he wants us to do. And nothing and nobody else promises or does that for us. Everything else will point you to a new instruction or a new ritual or a new thing that you've got to do. Jesus gives you himself. Are you willing this morning to say yes to that gift? So lastly this morning, and probably you've heard me say this before, it's one of my favorites. But I want you to, I want you just to take a second, I want you to imagine that you're caught in a massive pit. And that pit could be anything that you've struggled with or dealt with. That pit could be the lack of surrender, the lack of your ability to continually follow him. But you're stuck in a massive pit and you cannot get out. And you're clawing and trying to get out and your fingers are raw and you just can't seem to make it out. And it may be that some of these other people that we've discussed briefly would walk by. So maybe someone like Confucius would walk by. And maybe he would say to you, hmm, he who falls in pit was not looking where he was going. Well, thank you, Confucius. That is so helpful. If Buddha were to walk by, I could imagine that Buddha might say, well, if you meditate and eliminate suffering by destroying self, then you can say there is no pit and I am not in it. But when you open your eyes again, you're going to be in the pit. And you may walk by and say, hey, if you can appease the God or the numerous gods that are down there, then you might be able to reincarnate as a bird after you die, and then you could fly out. So good luck with that. A Muslim may walk by and say, hey, if you'll, if you'll pray towards Mecca five times a day, then maybe paradise will be a little bit better for you. A postmodernist might walk by and look at you and say, I don't know. I mean, in the pit, out of the pit, is it really just two sides of the same coin? I mean, why are we going to put a label on all this pit talk anyway? I mean, can we really know if you're in the pit or not? I don't think so. But you, looking around at your circumstances, you know you're in the pit. A humanist or, or an atheist who doesn't believe at all in God may walk by and just say, Hey, hey, ain't nobody going to help you, man. There is nobody around who's going to be able to help you out of that thing. You're just not trying hard enough. you got to work harder. 
But it's Jesus. Jesus walks by and he says, you are in a pit. You're in a pit. And I can see it. But I'm going to come down into that pit. And I'm going to pick you up. And I'm going to carry you out. And then once we're out, I'm going to go and I'm going to fill up that pit. And I'm going to make sure that if you'll walk with me, you will never fall in that pit again. Jesus does the work himself by his grace and by faith in him because he is God. Would you close your eyes? Bow your heads with me. Will you ask yourself the question today? Would you join me in asking yourself the question, who is Jesus to me? Right now where you're sitting, just ask yourself the question, who is Jesus to me? And let the Holy Spirit wrestle with you about it. Because I know for many of us, the initial response is, oh yeah, he's God. It's an easy response for Christians to just say. But to actually say it means that you've got to be okay and come to terms with the actual obedience and the surrender that is required to let him be God. And when you're presented with this idea, you, you have to make a choice. You got a pastor standing before you saying, hey, here's the thing you've got to consider. And I think that there are only a few options to consider. Liar, lunatic, Lord. I think you have to pick one. I don't see that there's much more. You could choose to remain undecided, but to make the choice to be undecided is in fact to choose. And you choose no. Will you ask yourself and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you? Who is Jesus to me? Is he an image that I've constructed based on my experiences? Is he a product of just some of the pictures that I grew up with? that came out of my family or the church that I attended? Or is he the one true Jesus of the Bible who is the one and true living God? And then the next question is, and have I surrendered my life to him? And if you haven't, I want you to know he is the solution for you. I want you to remember he is the promise of hope for you. Not you just having to do it yourself. He is the answer that you're looking for. Because he is the only one who is God. So this morning I want us to say a prayer. and I, I'm going to ask you to consider saying yes to him today. Maybe some of you, that would be the first time you've ever said yes to him and the first time you'd ever considered the fact that maybe you are in need of him. The first time you've considered the fact that he could actually be real and he actually could be God. 
to actually come face to face with the fact that we all have sinned and we all fall short of God's glory, but that God sent his son Jesus, part of himself as God, sent him into the world to die. And he did on the cross. His body was broken. His blood was shed. And he established a new kingdom. And he made a way for us to return to relationships that have been broken with the Father. Maybe it's the first time you've realized that and you want to say yes. Or maybe you just need to say yes again. Either way, I'm going to pray a prayer for you. And I want to ask you to respond in your own way. And just pray that prayer to him. And maybe make that surrender once again. So Heavenly Father, all over this room, we want to say yes to you once again. We want to surrender our lives to you again. We want to give ourselves to you again. We want to look at you. We want to examine our own hearts and lives. And God, we want to let you in. Jesus, we want to believe. Help our unbelief today. Father, would you forgive us for all of our sin and rebellion and our shortcomings where we've fallen short of your best plan for all of our lives. Today, we decide that we want to turn away from the life that we want to live on our own, and we want to live the life that you've called us to live, so help us to do it. We choose today to believe in the cross. We choose today to believe in your death, burial, and resurrection. We choose to believe that you are the solution and the promise of hope for us. And so we say yes to you. Save us. Deliver us. Forgive us. And set us on the right path to follow you. We love you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, if you made any kind of decision today, I made any kind of decision, you can't continue on alone. So would you do us this one small favor, and would you really do yourself a favor? Take out the connection card that's in your worship guide and write a little check on the back. There's an area that says, yes, I made a commitment, or yes, I recommitted my life to him today. Just make a check so we can follow up with you and just talk with you this week if you want so we can help you with next steps. And then you can take that card and you can drop it into the offering as it goes by today. Right here, in fact, that's the last thing that we're going to do this morning is we're going to give our tithes and offerings. So if you want to prepare those, we do this because we believe that Jesus really is God. And we don't ask you to give if it's your first time or you're just a visitor or a guest here this morning. We don't expect you to do that. If you want to, you're more than willing to. But we give because we believe that Jesus is true. We believe that he is God. We want to involve ourselves with what he's doing in our city and in our church and in our families and all around the world. So that's why we give. It's part of our worship and part of our saying yes to him. So stand with me, would you please? We'll pray over it. We'll give together. God, we give our tithes and our offerings to you because it's another way that we can say these things that we have don't control us. You do. And we worship you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Come on, everybody. Let's give to Jesus together.